0: well good morning happy sabbath what a privilege to come and be with you this sabbath and to worship with you as i drove in and looked at the church it just brought back amazing memories uh one of them of course that the church is still standing since uh my dad and and my brothers and i decided to uh stucco it it's still standing and and so that uh As a little proud moment of my dad's workmanship, and uh, a great memory of his legacy that uh, he not only worked hard with his hands, but when he did something, he did it unto the Lord. And that that just blessed my heart. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, my daughter, just out of the blue, said, Dad, what's the favorite sermon you've ever preached? I'm like, I don't know. And it's like, well, what's the favorite place you ever preach at? I'm like... I don't know, but thinking about it, I just love coming here, and don't tell any of the other churches, but this is one of the favorite places for me to come to, Uh, just love hanging out here, and and being blessed by you all, and being blessed by the Word of God together. And so today, you know, I'd like for us to just, uh, again, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Isn't that our only hope? Uh, Fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, we live in a world where fear is sold. And fear is pushed and keeping people in constant anxiety and worry about tomorrow and what the winter will bring and what inflation will bring and what struggles will bring. But the Bible gives us good news, that as God's people, we can have both inner peace in the midst of outer chaos. And that the Lord one day will bring outer peace to this whole universe. And that can give us hope today. And so as we go to God's word, to one of my favorite stories of the New Testament, my prayer for us is that we leave this place again, keeping our hearts and minds, our lives on Jesus, our faith in him, and that we... Have peace in our hearts, knowing that if we journey with Jesus, clinging to Him, that He will not, never let us go. Yes. Uh, our part is to not take our eyes off of Jesus. Amen. Not to let go of Him, but to walk with Him. Yes. And so our story will be, of course, in Mark chapter 4, in that great experience of Jesus and the disciples as He calmed the storm. Um, You know, when uh, I was going through the Sabbath school lesson some time ago in Genesis, uh, Jacob, in his blessing to his children, talked about Shiloh coming, right? And of course, you know, the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah, when he comes, he does bring peace. Uh, Isaiah 9-6, the Prince of Peace. Uh, and peace comes to those who accept Jesus, condemnation to those who reject Jesus. Uh, and so my prayer is that as we look at Mark chapter 4, we do have the peace of Christ. Let us just bow our heads one more time, just as you're seated. If you were to mind just bowing your hands with me, and I will come uh, kneeling before the throne of grace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, again, what a privilege for us to come before you today to open your word and by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we may be encouraged by your word, even challenged by your word, but above all, transformed by your word today. And Lord, I pray that as a mere instrument, a jar of clay, an earthen vessel, Father, I don't have the wisdom nor the strength nor the eloquence to uplift Jesus fully. So I plead that you be my strength, my rock, my redeemer. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my thoughts be acceptable in your sight. That the Holy Spirit may truly speak through your word. And that all of us here may be drawn into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And in his most wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, life is often very mundane. We go through the daily experiences of waking up, eating breakfast, going to work. But there are a few moments here and there that you truly sense the presence of God. Isn't that true? And you hang on to those because there are times that you can go for months and yes, you open the word of God and yes, you feed upon it, but there are just those few moments here and there when you truly sense the presence of God. And and thinking back in my life, there were some of those moments. One of them happened to be at the Sea of Galilee. I've had the privilege to go to Jerusalem and to Israel a few times in my life and on my first trip... I went at a time when truly there was inner turmoil in my own heart. You see, my dad was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer sometime in late fall. And our trip happened to be in January. And so in my heart, I was in this tension and prayer and, and struggle with God because the doctor literally said, your dad has six months to live. And so I remember at at times in my prayer to God, I would try to barter with him. Have you ever done that with God? You know, I'm a faithful servant of yours, Lord. I'll preach more gratefully. I'll, I'll work harder. Can you please save my dad? And then I would try to tug on God's heart. And then I would try different things. And so I find myself in Israel during this tension in my heart, praying for my dad And what I found is, there in Israel often, they'll build edifices where they think Jesus did something. There's a building here where he did the Sermon on the Mount, And there's this uh, temple here where they think Jesus was crucified. And and there's this place here where they think he was buried, and, and you name it, and so on. But there's one place they can't build anything, and that's on the Sea of Galilee. And so, the Sea of Galilee was one of my favorite places to visit. And of course, when you go to the Sea of Galilee, you're always ushered by the tourists to a restaurant there that sells you St. Peter's fish. Now, St. Peter's fish is about 22 bucks, and it's really not St. Peter's fish, but it's just a whole fish with the head on it. And those fish people love eating fish. I'm not much of a fishy person, so I go with the veggies and other stuff. But I remember one time, my wife and I went, and she said, we're here, we're going to experience Israel, we're getting the fish. And I'm like, I don't want the fish. And she said, let's experience the fish. So, as the waitress comes by, I order the fish. As I order the fish, a lady takes a fish bite to someone else. She looks at it and says, that does not look appetizing. She ordered something else. Would you know I had to eat the fish by myself while she enjoyed the beautiful, delicious foods of Israel. I'm still a little bitter about that. But, you know, after you're done with the fish or whatever you order by that restaurant, one of the things you do get to do is you get to get into a boat. And you take a ride towards Magdala from Capernaum. And that is one of the most meaningful places for me in the world. Because once you're in that boat, you start thinking about all the things that Jesus has done right here. You think of him walking on the water. You could see the place where Jesus multiplied the food. You look over to the gatherings and you see the cliffs where the pigs came down into the water you look behind you and you see the sermon on the mount you see the hill and you know that's where jesus gave us those wonderful messages and then you see a crevice between uh uh, and a road between two crevices where where jesus it is the road between capernaum and nazareth and that is for the last two thousand years where people have traveled and you know that's where jesus always made his trip between nazareth and capernaum All these stories and many others come to your mind. And in a sense, you realize Jesus walked on earth. He is real. He is with us today as he was with the disciples back then. And then we sang a hymn. A hymn that's not in our current hymnal, but it's in the uh, late hymnal. Uh, Someone made a copy of it. Passed it out to all the pastors. And someone who actually was able to carry a tune started the whole thing. But it's the hymn 677 in your old hymnal, Master, the Tempest is Raging. And the words of that hymn go something like this. Master, the Tempest is Raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness; No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep, when each moment is madly threatening a grave in the angry deep? The winds and the waves shall obey my will. Peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea, or demons, or man, or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace, peace, be still. Master, with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Somewhere in the midst of these words, I couldn't sing anymore. Tears would come to my eyes. I would think of my dad. I would think of my prayers. And this peace overflowed my heart and said, Edward, you don't know the future, but can you trust me? Can you trust me? And peace came into my heart that moment. That I'm not in control, that I can't control myself, that I can't control my dad's illness, that I can't control the doctors, that I can't even control God, but I can trust him. And that is enough. And so, nothing changed with my father. He passed away six months later. But that peace of knowing that Jesus is in control is one I never forget. And that is the story before us today. Can you trust Jesus in the midst of the storm of your life? Can you? Let's look at the story in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now notice a few things. On the same day. What day was it? Well, if you look back to the beginning of Mark, you notice that Jesus has been teaching in parables the people all day. Um, Mark chapter 4 verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him. Now, one thing to note is that Jesus was human. And in his humanity, when people were surrounding him and he's teaching all day, by the end of the day, he was exhausted. And so the exhausted Jesus looks at the disciples when evening had come and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. The other side were Gentiles. The other side was the side where Jews did not cross. Yet Jesus always crosses boundaries. Jesus always breaks down walls. Jesus always wants to bring people together. And he will do that in in the next chapter. Breaking down boundaries. Trying to bring people together. What you find though, is in verse 36. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. I chuckle at that because it says they took him. Who is the they? Well, the disciples, but in particular you can say it's Peter and James and John and Andrew who were well versed with the sea, who fished there all the time, who was their, uh, their, their home and, 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 their expertise and they were in control because Jesus, you're tired. Let's take you into our, bo- into our boat. We will take care of you. It gives me the picture in this mind of my when my son Levi was born 17 years ago this month in, up in Lakewood, Ohio, that when we brought him into the car and we put the car seat in, and of course you put it the other way facing away from you, and I get into the, uh, into the driver's side and, and grab the wheel and I adjust the mirror so that I see my son and my wife, and now I'm in full control of the car. I'm taking my son home. I'm going to raise him for Jesus. And this whole idea of the disciples, we're in control of the boat. We're going to take care of Jesus. Let's adjust the rearview mirror. Jesus is nicely sleeping in the back, just like my son was sleeping in the back. And that's how life goes when everything goes well. Because when the paychecks come, and the health is good, and the news is great, Jesus is in our life, but he's kind of in the back seat. We're in control. Don't tell me that I'm not right. And then what you find in the story is that something happens. Because here in verse 37, it tells us, And a great windstorm arose. Notice, not just a windstorm, a great windstorm arose. The disciples were used to windstorms, especially the fishermen, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. It was no, you know, it's not unusual down in the Sea of Galilee. It's in a lower plain and it's surrounded by hills for winds to come down. It's shallow body of water. And because it's shallow, the winds coming down, it really lifts up the waves real quickly. And because of that, it was not unusual for them to say, whoa, storm's coming, time to head. But in this, in this instance, came so quickly, And it was so great that as they're trying to remain in control, they're realizing that they can't get the water out as fast as it's coming in. And now the sense of fear is starting to set in. Have you been there before? When you're starting to lose control, when you're hearing certain news, and now you're realizing, I'm not as in control as I think I am. And notice what happens in verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. We've talked about the exhaustion of Jesus teaching all day. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Have you been there before? Have you ever looked up to heaven and asked the question, Do you not care of what I'm going through? That my prayers are unanswered. That life is getting harder. That I feel like I'm going to sink in this. I was just in high school when again my dad had a construction accident where he almost lost his life. It happened on New Year's Eve of all the time. And when he ended up without working for six months until he went through surgeries and healing, our family didn't get any income at all because all of us boys were still in school. And so during that time, life was challenging without an income. I remember one time distinctly going into the kitchen and again, Where do we get money for the bills? Where do we get food on the table? Why is this happening to us? We are struggling. I looked up to heaven and said, Do you not care about us? If we're honest with ourselves, there are certain times in our lives we ask, Does Jesus care? You're not alone. Nor are you the first, nor are you the last. In fact, there's a hymn in your hymnal Hymn 181. And what do you think the title of Hymn 181 is? Does Jesus care? Do you think when Pastor Frank Graff, a Methodist pastor, wrote this poem, that he just sat down one day and said, Hey, let me write a poem about Jesus. Let me write a poem if Jesus cares. Do you think that's what he was doing? Or was he going through a personal experience in his life that out of the depthness of his heart, he wrote the words, I'm going through something. Does Jesus care? And as he struggled with it, he came to a conclusion that led to this poem that you and I sing today. The poem goes like this Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, oh, Yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. And that was his experience. And that can be our experience as well. Because when you and I come to the cross, the cross is the greatest revelation to all of our minds that Jesus truly cares. Cares that he cared enough to come into this world to save us from our sins, to die the death that we deserve, so that we can have the eternal life which is his. Oh, yes, he cares. And so now we find no longer are the disciples in control, Jesus is in control. And notice what he does in verse 39 then he arose. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, Mark is in three sections. You have the section, uh, often when you read stories in Mark, you'll find that he writes stories in three parts. The first part is usually the chaos. And in this case, it's the storm. The second part is usually the solution. And the third part, there's the huh moment, like, what just happened? And we have gone through the storm. We have seen that Jesus cares. We have seen that the solution is the presence and the voice of Jesus, that he can calm the storm. And he does calm the storm if we let him. Think of the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was in the storm of his life. He was about to die. He was a thief. He knew that he deserved damnation. And in his moment of inner storm, he cried out to Jesus, remember me. Did Jesus speak speak peace into his storm that day? When he told him, you will be with me in paradise. Imagine the peace that thief had. When I read Steps to Christ, chapter 6, there's wonderful uh, counsel here by the servant of the Lord. It's the very first thought. She says here in chapter 6, As your conscience has been quickened by the Holy Spirit, you have seen something of the evil of sin, of its power, its guilt, its woe. You look look upon it with abhorrence. You feel that sin has separated you from God, that you are in bondage to the power of evil. The more you struggle to escape, the more you realize your helplessness. Sounds like the disciples in the storm. Your motives are impure. Your heart is unclean. You see that your life has been filled with selfishness and sin. You long to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be set free. Harmony with God, likeness to him. What can you do to obtain it? And this is what she says. It is peace that you need. She doesn't say, hey, strike, try harder. Hey, work at it more. Hey, keep at it. No, she says, you know what you need? Stop trying to bail the water out. You're still wanting to be in control of your own salvation. You know what you need? Turn to Jesus. Let him take control. What you need is peace. And you're never going to get peace based on what you do. You will only get peace based on what he can do. And what he can say. What you need is peace. And peace only comes from coming to Jesus and handing your life over to him. It's the best thing to do every morning, by the way, as soon as you get up. You may have a storm that day, and it's a good time to say, Lord, I turn this day over to you. Whatever comes today, I can trust that it first goes through you, that if you allow it, then you will carry me through it. That will give you peace. You get a flat tire, Lord, you allowed it. Someone hits you from the back, Lord, you allowed it. You got bad news from the doctor, Lord, you're still in control. Peace comes from trying to do it all to letting him control it all. Yet, we find here that Jesus is done with the wind, that he can bring peace, that he is in control. But now, after he talks to the wind, and I don't think he yelled at it, I I think he just spoke to it. But verse 40, now he turns to the disciples and he said, How are you so fearful? How are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I I think of something that Jesus once asked us. He was giving a parable in Luke 18, 8, when he says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? How are you so fearful? Perhaps today the Lord looks at his people And he sees all the fear mongering and all the anxiety and all that is coming upon the world. And people are getting scared. He can look at his people and say, why are you fearful? What are you afraid of? Have you no faith? Do you notice there's fear and faith? That when there is fear, it's because there's no faith. And when there's faith, then there's no fear. And the problem with the disciples here is that they tried to stay in control in the storm and they didn't have faith in Jesus because Jesus, does he care? And that's when Jesus wakes them up. Who's really sleeping here, by the way? He wakes them up and says, Now wake up! Why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? I tell you, there is a storm coming upon the world. And, and I'm saddened that many times when we talk about the storm coming upon the world, that many Christians are afraid. I've even heard people say, I wish Jesus would just put me asleep before the storm comes. And, and I, I say this, where is your faith? Yes. Why are we so fearful? Of what's happening. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says. But know this. That in the last days. Perilous times will come. Yes. And notice how Paul explains these peril- perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. I ask my kids to highlight some of this stuff. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. A lot of uns in there. (laughs) Slanders. Without self-control. Brutal. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then it adds, They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. I don't know about you, but the perilous times he's talking about, we're living in it, and it's getting more to it. Because the more you see is you see people that are more hateful, that are more in their own silos, that if you don't agree with me, you're my enemy, yes. and you just see more yes. and more unChrist christ likeness Both in the world, and can I say, even amidst those who claim to be God's children. Yes. Amen. This year I'm going through a little devotional, uh, it's an LNGY devotional, And it's called Fear Not, Little Flock. And here in in, uh, June 7, this is what it says. God's people have close, severe battles to fight. But these battles are not to be against their brethren. All desire to hurt and weaken and destroy the influence of even the weakest of God's workers is registered in the books of heaven as a desire to weaken the influence of Jesus. The warfare we are to undertake is to be waged against the confederacy of evil, which is arrayed against the people of God. But woe unto those who shall turn their implements of warfare against their own brethren. Amen. God reminds us that we are to fight in unison with the angels of heaven and that more than angels are engaged in the warfare. I thought of that for a moment. As perilous times are coming and we're entering into the storm, you're starting to see the true character of each individual. That's where people become self-centered and try to save themselves. That's where people turn on each other. Or that's where they start becoming selfless and caring. It's not that those traits all of a sudden appear. It's based on their walk with Jesus. Yes. And as the storm's come in, and it says people are going to be more Unloving, uncaring, and, and, and lovers of pleasures and, and unforgiving, and all of these things. That the, that the battles of warfare, of the sword, instead of turning it against the array of evil that's in the world, we're starting to headhunt among us. Amen. Amen. And perhaps maybe that's why the Lord says in multiple places, Like in John 17, I pray that they may be one. As he says in in, in Malachi chapter 4, here at the end of Malachi 4 verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. What, what, is, what is this idea of the Lord sending the spirit of Elijah? Yes, it came in John the Baptist and trying to bring people together, but it, it has that meaning in the last days, that while the devil is trying to create this idea of disobedience to parents and split of generations, that the Holy Spirit is trying to unite the generation. That when it says in Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, I will pour out my spirit yes. on your maidens and on your young men and on your, on your old. He spoke, he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And, you know, often we think, well, you know, all the old people who are anti-social media are here receiving the Holy Spirit. And all the young people who are on uh, Snapchat are receiving the Holy Spirit over here. And all the adults who are on Facebook are receiving the Holy Spirit here. That somehow, when he's pouring out the Holy Spirit, we're all getting it into the generations and silos we're in. But I'd like to tell you, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works that the Holy Spirit is bringing His people together and then pours out His Holy Spirit. Do you think I'm wrong in that? That we could take a hundred pianos and put them into a big room and try to tune them to each other and go to each piano and let's tune this to this one and this one to that one. You will fail. But if you take one tuner and you say, let's tune each piano to this tuner, they will all be in unison because it's a one tuner. And when we're all trying to unite with each other with different ideas here and there, and oh, you're with me because you, and you're, instead of looking to Jesus, who alone can say, peace, be still. Who is the one, the true tuner, whom the Holy Spirit uplifts. Isn't that what Jesus said? And I will send you who will testify of me that when we look to Jesus and we come in harmony with Jesus, that what we give our and then we, instead of looking at our brothers and sisters and turning a warfare, we say, Lord, what's in my life that you got to work on? Bring me in harmony with you that somehow we're all coming in harmony together. Amen. And that is the peace. The work of the Holy Spirit that they may be one. As you and I are. Well, we've looked at the chaos. We've looked at the solution. Now we finish off here with the huh moment. Like, what? And you look at verse 41 back in Mark chapter 4. And as we come here to this conclusion, it says, And they, the disciples, feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. You know, they saw Jesus do all the miracles. They saw Jesus heal. They saw Jesus bless. They saw Jesus teach. They they saw Jesus cast out demons. But this, this, Jesus talking to the storm. And who can this be? You see how Mark likes to finish his stories with like, huh? Well, why they don't know who Jesus is, the demoniac does. Because in the next story, verse 7, it says that he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Who can this be? It is none other than Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. You know, friends, in life, You're either going into a storm, you are in a storm, you're coming out of a storm. You're in one of those places sitting here tonight. You're either in a peaceful place, but a storm will come. Maybe not next week, maybe not next month, but it'll come. Or you're sitting here tonight thinking, I'm in a storm, no one else knows, but I'm in a storm right now. Or you're looking back and you're thinking, man, I just came out of a storm. and I'm thankful that I'm out of that storm. Some of you may have heard that this last summer we found ourselves in the very first storm of Camp Mohaven. And usually during staff week, we go through a staff manual. We train our staff how to be responsive to crisis. We certify them in first aid and CPR. We, we train them in how to safely take care of campers that are entrusted to us. And part of the training is in case there is a storm, a tornado, or any of that thing, here are the shelters. Here you need to go. These are the safe places that you need to be with everyone to ride out the storm. We do that every year. It's in the manual. We cover it. We show it to them. This year, Cup Camp began. Our youngest age, six through nine. Came in Monday. We had a full day of activities. Usually, the NBA playoffs happen always during summer camp. And I'll let the staff watch it during staff week. We have no kids there, and and it's a great time for them to to bond with each other and to hassle each other over their favorite teams, and it's a nice time too. But usually I have the rule, as soon as campers come in, you can't watch it. You have to be in your cabins, you have to give your full, full attention. To and, and they broke that one time when the Cavs were in, in the uh, playoffs, uh, playing against the Warriors. They were in that crucial game, and and I said, sorry, you can't watch it, And and we had a meeting uh, that night. And out of Boys Village, I hear cheering and, and just celebration. And in my mind, thought the Cavs won. Sure enough. I didn't come down too hard on them because, well, it was the Cavs. If maybe it would have been the Warriors, they'd be in tr- big trouble. But we, we gave them mercy that time. Well, I had some staff come in to me this last Monday cup camp. And they just kept begging me, you know, that one would hit me high, the other one would hit me low, and they would just come after me. Hey, can, can we watch the game? And finally, I gave in. I don't know why, but I said, listen, if you don't have any campers in your cabin, and you're just the general staff, you can stay up and watch the game. And so my own daughter, who's not interested in sports, comes to me and says, can I watch the game? I said, fine. And so I stayed with her to watch the game. To the chagrin of my wife, who knows better that we need rest during camp. So we watched uh, Warriors and Celtics, and the Warriors win that night. And after the game around uh, 10.30 at night, my daughter and I walk towards the pool, because I like to check sometimes the pool in the dark, make sure nobody jumped the fence. And uh, we look above us, and we just see the... The lightning, but it's it's unusual because it's not just lightning, it's like strobe lights, it's just continuous play in the skies. I thought that is unusual. I don't see any storms on the radar coming this way. So I drive my car up to the top where the rangers' houses, the travel trailers are there, and I, I want to bring the awning in because I thought there'd be some high winds that night. And so my wife likes to put Lights on it, so I took all the lights off, and as I took all the lights off and put it in, and ready to hit the button to bring the awning in, I get my phone alert saying t- Tornado Watch. Now, it doesn't say Tornado Warning, that just means, hey, there's a potential. Tornado Watch means it's been sighted. And when it says Tornado Watch, it means it's been sighted near us. And so, my wife, who's not too happy with her husband who stayed up, uh, is inside the trailer. And as I get the message, I say, grab the dogs. And both my daughter and my wife grab each dog. We put them in the car. And as we turn the corner to head down, it hit. We saw the wind swirling. We saw the rain coming. The car was being pushed into the woods. And my wife yelling out, we're not going to make it. And so I hit the gas pedal. And the car goes down the hill, right as we reach the lodge, the doors open for us. We run in, and I tell my wife and uh, daughter to to, uh, pray, because I'm getting phone calls. And my son, who's in the village, boys' village, says, what do we do, Dad? And when he says, what do we do, I hear trees popping around camp, like popcorn, just pop, 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 pop. And I say, hunker down. But as I say hunker down because I don't want them out there, already some of the staff took the campers and they were heading to the tornado shelter because they were getting the same thing I was. And so as I say hunker down, I see lights and kids being carried going to the shelter. I'm like, well, they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? Tornado watch, head to the shelter. And in the midst of heading to the shelter, there are tornadoes and high winds and trees everywhere. And when it gets calm after the storm, and I venture out, and I go to girls' village, tree after tree is down. The road that I came down, you couldn't even see the road. It was all trees down. If I would have not stayed for the game and been awake and would have been woken up by this and tried to put pants on and try to get in the car and head down, I would be dead today. And as we gathered as a staff that evening, because it was a long night. And we asked the parents to pick up the cup campers. They had to pick them up in Danville because no car could have come in. We had to cut our way out. Luckily, we have good Amish friends with big bull desserts. Otherwise, we would have been there for days with cup campers with no power. But they cleared the road out. We took them out of camp. We cleaned all day. We got together that night. And each one shared their story. Their story of, I got the note, I hesitated for a moment. But because I hesitated, it saved my life. Because of that hesitation, a tree would have hit me. Another one, I saw the thing. I didn't hesitate. I grabbed it. I ran. A third one. As I grabbed the camper, they dropped something. They went down to pick it up. I said, no, honey, leave it, their little shoe. As they grabbed the kid, the tree fell right there where it was. As you look back at the storm, one of the staff said, now I know God is real. He was with us in the storm. You see, you and I don't see storms coming. They come without warning. They hit hard. But one thing you can look back at after the storm. God was with us. He is with us. He never leaves us. That he cares. That he never forsakes us. And when every story was told that night. In fact, the next day we had two photographers and I said, take a picture of everything. And uh, the insurance company asked for some of the pictures. And as I was scrolling through the pictures to give them what they needed, I noticed that all the trees fell straight. There were high winds. There were some areas where the tornado went through and other areas just high winds. And so where the high winds came through, the trees fell straight. And there was one place where the tree didn't fall straight. The tree twisted from the base and fell the other way. It would have fallen on a cabin with campers that were trying to evacuate. Every tree that we were clearing away has fallen straight except one. No wonder in the midst of it, we're trying to be in control of saving lives, and the Lord says, I'm here. And perhaps an angel said, no, no, not this tree. Let me just touch it over. And it actually saved a picnic table because it fell next to the cabin between the picnic table and the, even the picnic table was saved. Oh, the goodness of God. We all go through storms. And in the process of a storm, we may lay a loved one to sleep. But friends, do you trust him? Does he care? Do you believe that one day he shall come back and he will make all things right? That all the dead in Christ will arise? When all the stories were told, we sang Amazing Grace. And I couldn't sing anymore in the midst of it. I bowed my head in deep gratitude. That Jesus was with us at camp. That he saved the lives of staff and campers. That not only I wasn't dead, and I guess if I'm not dead, God's not done with me yet. But that I didn't have to make a phone call to any parent that day to tell them a storm came through. And John is not coming home. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And I believe one day, friends, when we're going to be up in heaven and singing a hymn of grace, that maybe you and I, with our loved ones, with my dad next to me, maybe again, I'll stop singing for a moment. I'll think back to planet Earth and say, what a storm that was. But Jesus was with us. Wasn't that the children's story? God with us. Jesus was with us. And he brought us into eternal peace. So friends, do not be afraid. Don't let the world scare you. Jesus is all powerful. Jesus is mighty. And yes, he cares. You can trust him. He will finish the work in you that he has started. Mm -hmm. Trust him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Oh, our hearts are filled with thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. He alone is our hope. He alone is our strength. He alone is our Savior. And if there's ever a greater temptation, it is to somehow believe that we can do it. That somehow we believe, like the disciples, Oh, Jesus is with us, we're in control. Father, my prayer is that we have faith in Jesus Christ, such faith that it casts out any fear that we may have. I pray that the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus may transform our lives in living for Jesus. May we never let go. May we always stay focused on Christ. Tune our hearts to him every moment of every day. For he cares and he saves. And in his precious name we pray.